So hello, and um, this week with Keith Blow, I'm chatting with a, a friend of mine that I met at uh, ATD or ASTD, where we went, went back a long time in the USA, and that's Maureen Ori. Uh, Maureen is an author and leading expert in instructional design, a developer of high-impact learning programs, and she's on the faculty at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, she wrote 101 ideas for influential presentation, uh, communication skills training, and successful staffing in a diverse workplace. Today, though, we'll be discussing one of her newest books, uh, the principle and the principles behind it, designing Section 508 compliant learning. Now, this travels because it relates in the UK and Europe uh, and other parts of the world to the Disability Discrimination Acts and ensures accessibility to all learning for everyone. Hi Maureen. Hey there Neville, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you are too and thanks for joining us. Talk thanks to so me. much to have me. It's great to uh, have a chance to connect with you. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. Talk to me a little bit about the whole, all of the core issues around accessibility. Thanks for that question, Neville. Thinking about the core issues, I guess what I, I, when I look at workplace learning, when I look at corporate HR, I see a lot of discussion about diversity and inclusion. And yet often part of the conversation that seems to be left off is disability or ability, depending on how you, how you phrase that. And uh, recently, when we saw each other in Washington, D.C., there were over 300 sessions at a learning and development conference, and there was one session on designing for accessibility. So that might give you a snapshot into, in my opinion, where, where we stand on the issue, meaning I think a lot of organizations really aren't looking at how do we truly include people of all different abilities in learning in, in our organizations? I'm, I'm conscious here in the uh, UK and Europe, uh, CPD points for provision uh, uh, insist upon having uh, the ability to adjust and adapt your uh, provision to enable people with various disabilities to access. However, um, I'm not a million percent convinced that although here the act has been in place for some time, that there is a total understanding of the entire word. It's like diversity and inclusion. When you really open it up, it's just simply around difference. And when you open up the whole world of disability, it, it's, as you said, it's really how, which end of the telescope are you looking here? And, and how do we get whatever we're providing for one person to be available to everyone. Exactly. And it's funny, you say uh, with the CPD, yeah. I, I think you call it, right? The uh, ability to adjust and adapt your content is kind of a misnomer because really if you don't consider inclusion and accessibility from the very beginning, you're reinventing the wheel every single time you might want to adjust or adapt your content. It sometimes is easier said than done. Oh, let's just adjust our content. Well, that actually sometimes means a complete redesign in order to consider 
uh, especially for e-learning, you know, mouse interface versus a keyboard interface is a pretty significant difference in uh, that agility to deliver to various audiences. Yeah, I noticed in the book you have a little table of um, of access needs for different types of people, and there were there were twenty different considerations in that table. Um, and and so, how can you sort of start to incorporate? thinking around all of those components, all of those different needs um, from the start? That's a, that's a great, great question. And actually, what's interesting, I'm working on another iteration, a longer iteration of that book and adding a column to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, really what you, the considerations are, as, as I look at it, what are the three main formal learning environments. For example, in learning and development, we deliver content face-to-face, -face, which according to the ADD state of the industry, 67% of content is still delivered in a face-to-face -face environment. Then there's an online live environment and like a webinar or what have you. And then there's asynchronous e-learning, which is there's no live instructor you can ask a question to. And those are the three main formal learning environments. What um, I was thinking about as I was chatting with participants is to say, what are, is there anything missing? And someone who is actually not even really in the learning and development, learning and development space says, um, what about, well, if I just want to Google something? What about, which really becomes that informal learning, which is the column I'll be adding to the chart. And then considering all of the different ways people access learning, then there are people with visual differences and auditory differences or physical differences and even cognitive differences in how we process information. And if we consider what environment are we going to be delivering content in, how do we really need to consider all of the different ways people access information? Yeah. It, goes, it goes beyond learning style. I yeah. was reading a blog this weekend, and it's, it's beyond learning style. It truly is a, an access need, not a style need, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, I, I, I get it. I get it. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's a, an interesting dilemma. We here in, in, in People in Flow have been talking about this, this formal, informal learning thing. <laughs> and, and we've realized that actually it's, 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 you're never really learning informally. And you're never really learning formally. It, you're, it's either being provided for you or you're going to get it from sure. somewhere that's not provided. Uh, okay. So you're either you're either going and grabbing, <laughs> or you're receiving. Sure. And, and, and and you know any mixture of those words kind of makes sense. I think we all sort of get what we're talking about. But sure. um, when you I like to I like I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, I like to call that the push versus pull mentality. Are we pushing stuff into someone's brain, or are they going to go out there and pull it into their brain? Absolutely. It's a bit simplistic, but it's a push versus pull mentality. I, I, I think that's great because if you take that push and pull onto a, a, the next level, um, I think the world of learning and development has, has woken up now to the fact that performance and learning are the responsibility of the individual. You know, nobody can make you learn. You can provide you with the opportunities to learn, but we can't make you do it. 
but if you're responsible for your own performance, if you want to be as good as you can be and enjoy work and everything else, then then to take advantage of what is pushed and to then go and get what you can pull enables you to get a lot more out of your day. And I think if, if, we, if we look at it like that, then the bit that we provide is clearly the bit you're talking about in terms of really considering how we provide opportunities to learn that enable everyone to get at it equally. Is that, Absolutely. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 And actually, um, and when I was reviewing your book, I was thinking about some of that, the transformation of how organizations look at performance and, you know, performance in the traditional sense, I think is on its way out. And it really is looking at the engagement conversation and, and how do we own our learning? How do we own our performance? How do managers and leaders facilitate a conversation instead of a performance evaluation? And, and I think the world is shifting. We're not quite there yet. Yeah. I, but I think we are shifting to more of that responsibility to, yes, there's content out there and there needs to be consistent, reliable content that's teaching what are the content we're supposed to be teaching. But yeah. then there's our responsibility to, as you say, go pull it out there and, and integrate it into our own thoughts and our own behaviors. Yeah. And a workplace that is energized needs everybody to be able to get at it. Because as soon as there's somebody who can't get something, then there's what I call a niggle. It's a little something that gets in the way. It's like it's not fair. And that not fair conversation becomes then part of the hidden wiring that becomes negative. Um, I think it was about, I can't remember how many years ago it was, uh, but I think it was probably about 15 years ago, I was in a session where Ken Blanchard questioned the whole need for a distribution curve on performance management, hmm. um, where he said, you know, surely what you're looking for in a workplace is for everybody to succeed and beyond. And if you get that, then results will follow and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so leadership is around uh, enabling that to happen. Uh, and so the, the learning and development part of is, is to actually make sure that whatever we provide has an impact and whatever we provide is available to everybody to, to get that impact, I guess. That's probably where you're coming from. Talk to me then, um, uh, if we take that as a given, talk to me about the different methodologies and uh, <laughs> ways in which you can actually build inclusion right from the beginning across all of the different methodologies on those three main elements. Sure, absolutely. Well, I think, Neville, the first thing you have to do is you have to really uh, care. <laughs> it might sound a bit simplistic, but I have heard from so many uh, individuals who have various learning challenges, for lack of a better word, about the lack of caring for from instructors. And in fact, my daughter struggles with ADHD, and she was taking a college class uh, which is a huge shift for her. And she reached out to, and I've given her some coaching to say, here's the questions you need to ask. And 
And one of her instructors said, you know, I, I get requests for accommodations all the time. I don't even open my email box. I don't even read the email messages. You're kind of on your own to figure out how to be successful in this class. And, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, that's not a unique incident, right? I've had so many uh, individuals who share with me that people, they either don't care and they're not aware of the various different needs as outlined on that chart. So for example, to be aware that people who cannot see something and uh, heck I wear trifocal contacts. So I sometimes put myself in this category. Um, the, the awareness that maybe a digital document is better than a hard copy document because someone can manipulate it with their own software or expand it and make the font size larger or what have you. Um, being a, it can be sometimes a very simple accommodation. Uh, sometimes it's something as simple as, for example, with this podcast, you provide a, a transcript. So if someone who can't hear it can read the conversation and still get the value from it and being aware that sometimes it's it's not as difficult as we think it is yeah and we had the um, this podcast uh, mechanism um, the method you know, the, the system is very good because the other day we needed to put the words you know to for somebody who was deaf to, to actually have the words come up on the screen and you just have mm -hmm. to button and up it comes at the bottom of the screen and you can include it. So, um, you know, as I think, as you said uh, to me previously, uh, the providers of the hardware uh, are making great strides in enabling us to take these considerations into account. Um, what sort of things are, are you conscious of at the moment? Um, I think Microsoft is actually doing a fantastic job with creating hardware and software that's accessible. Apple actually was uh, some of the first, one of the first companies with accessible iPhones. If you look at uh, blind individuals, a lot of them will use the iPhone because of the accessibility settings. And Microsoft actually, I think it was this year in the Super Bowl here in the United States during the big football game, big expensive commercials, they had a commercial that really demonstrated how new software can, I'm sorry, new hardware can make gaming accessible to kids. And I actually, I read Satya Nadella's book, uh, Hit Refresh, which he, Satya is the CEO of Microsoft. And I learned in that book that he actually has a child with a very significant physical disability. And I personally think that this has driven him as a leader of a tech company to create more accessible software, hardware. He, he talked about a story of when his child wanted to change the music, the playlist he was listening to, and he physically couldn't because the interface on the device wasn't accessible to him. And he always had to call someone to change simply the playlist. And that, I think, provided insight to Satya that we, we being the leaders of technology, the leaders of learning, the leaders of creating more accessible content, have to be the ones who make the change. Yeah. And that means we have to learn how, how to do that and be aware of it and, and care that it really matters. That's fantastic. 
Maureen, thank you for that um, response because you've highlighted a number of different considerations within that. <laughs> it's not just about caring, but it's about awareness. It's about making sure that as a learning and development professional, you actually know what is available. And I think we're getting clouded quite often with um, unnecessary terminology and, and sort of almost the, the, the research is the reason why you need to buy the product rather than the product fits a need of the people that you're providing for. And, and we got to get back, I think, to the, the right way around of that, uh, of that telescope because otherwise we're just following fads and we're not actually being inclusive. We're just being fancy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the thought that comes to mind is our own skill set, right? We need the caring. We need the awareness. We can't just simply wait for the technology to, to evolve. There's technology and tools available right now that we, we as designers and developers have to be able to learn and apply. And, and, we have to also be careful never to assume. I, I remember my team and I developed a program for a government agency uh, a few years back, and we had some assumptions. This is the first time I was designing a 508 compliant or uh, you know, an accessible learning program because the laws are called something different all over the world. There are laws all over the yeah. world. Right? But the... Um, the first time I was designing an, an accessible program, probably about 10 years or so ago, the assumption was, oh, okay, it's HTML5, it'll be accessible. Yeah, and then I sent a link to my friend who's blind, and I said, hey, tell me what you can see on this. And he's like, no, this is kind of a, it's a, it's a mess. He couldn't access it, or the infrastructure wasn't set up right. And so the assumptions we made, trusting the tool, trusting the design tool, using what uh, built-in accessibility tools, maybe we didn't use it well, maybe the software wasn't up to par, maybe both. And so we, we made an assumption and we had to go back to square one and redesign the program. And so the skill set is important, skill set and technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I, I think that helps enormously to understand that those assumptions can very often mislead us. Um, talk to me, does it matter what the purpose or the intent of the development activity actually is would, would it make a difference to the way in which people access i i believe so to me the the word that comes to mind is mindset right do we have a mindset for inclusion and if we do i think we're more cognizant of of making sure that the content is accessible to think about it from the auditory, the visual, the kinesthetic, the, the, um, the cognitive aspects of learning. Um, I think if we have a mindset for inclusion, we create better programs. Yeah. And that wouldn't matter. See, people in flow, we've now kind of redefined the re the rationale behind what we're trying to so we recognize that going forward, there are going to be some foundation skills. Sure. There are going to be job skills, knee skills, leadership skills. 
and um, uh, the sort of um, workplace impact skills. Sure. Those and all are slightly different. They, um, yeah, they are. And, and I think one thing to add to all of the different skill sets that we have is if we have a mindset for inclusion, uh-huh. it's no longer an afterthought. Yeah. I think right now, the often, uh, including folks with disabilities or different access needs, is an afterthought, not a pre-thought, if you would. Yeah. It's, oh, well, by the way, we need to be agile for those who are differently abled. Okay, let's go adjust and adapt and, and be agile. Well, without realizing it, as I said earlier, that might mean a complete redesign as opposed to having that pre-thought to um, consider the different needs from the very beginning. Yeah, and I like that sort of differently able uh, phrase. That, that, that's a much better way of phrasing it, to be fair, because it means you're not missing something. You're, you have something which enables you to do something, but you may have to do it differently. Exactly. And, yeah, uh, and I think that term disabled, quote unquote, is... Um, Passe. We're trying to again. You change the language. You change the perspective. The mindset. Back mm-hmm. to the mindset, as you said. Uh, beyond mindset, you know, when it comes to this sort of thing, there are other barriers, aren't there? There are other barriers to enabling this to be universally the way people deliver and provide opportunities to learn. Things like budget. Things like just pure technology access and so forth. How, how are you seeing organizations overcoming those sort of practical barriers? Um, yeah, that, that is, those are real barriers, absolutely. And, and I think one of the underlying barriers to budget and technology is kind of an arrogance, if you would, an arrogance uh, and we've seen this throughout the whole civil rights evolution and, and the arrogance that one race is better than another, one gender is better than another, one type of physical ability is better than another. And I think sometimes that arrogance influences budget and decision making for designing technology um, or designing your budget. And it technically, the population of individuals with disabilities around the world is about 20 to 25 percent of of the workforce Uh, and most of those have hidden disabilities that such as a seizure disorder or a bad back or a learning disability and if i i think in human nature if you can't see it it doesn't exist And therefore, why should we spend money on something that we don't have anyone in a wheelchair in our organization, or we don't have anyone who's blind in our organization, we don't have anyone who's uh, hearing uh, impaired, and therefore, we don't need to design for that, not realizing that when you design for all of those different access needs, you're you're also um, benefiting other access needs. I often like to uh, consider that for example, someone with an auditory processing difference, not physically in their ears, but cognitively, they love um, closed captioning mm. because then they can see and hear at the same time. I know my, my, one of my other daughters, she is 
a 4.0 highly achieved student, if you watch her watch videos, she always turns on closed captioning. And she has no diagnosed disability. She likes the additional information or if she misses something, you know. Um, so thinking about, I think I lost my train of thought. <laughs> thinking about the connection to budget technology, we have to go back to those assumptions and perhaps um, realize that just like any other civil rights movement, we need to make decisions that are inclusive and temporarily it might cost a little bit more, but then we get used to it. We build our skill set, and it becomes a part of how we operate. It's kind of, um, we, I talked earlier about those foundation skills for the future. And we kind of have those as um, digital dexterity, neuroagility, and, and, and working with an understanding difference. And I think in itself, each of the other two incorporate that difference. Um, neuroagility really reflects your ability to learn and uh, adapt and learn and adopt and perform new things quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and the quicker you can do that, the more neuroagile. Well, to do that, you kind of need to understand how you are uniquely wired. And if you understand that, then as you say, it doesn't, it, you're designing for everybody to be able to use their unique strengths, if you like, to learn quickly, not just learn absolutely and you know that i i think perhaps as this whole discussion evolves we we being the learning and development or corporate training community around the world will realize that content is better when it's more accessible not just better for individuals with disabilities but better for everyone everyone yeah yeah because you're able to adapt to your personal preferences in, in taking that in you know, um, I learned a, a long time ago, that, you know, I always found it difficult to learn if I just had to read. If I could read and, and, and hear and everything at the same time, that was great. But just reading, but I, you know, late in life, I discovered it's pretty much because I'm left eye dominant and, and that mm. first to read right to left. Um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> you may need to move to Japan. <laughs> and, yeah, and learn to read kanji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's still plenty to learn, as they say. Um, yeah. But it means that if you've, if you've designed it for everyone, then those options are there automatically and you can, you can take them yourself or you know, anyone can. Turn them on, turn them off as needed. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, that, that's a strong rationale, strong reason for it. Um, but the biggest uh, rationale, and I guess uh, and, and I, when I introduced you, I talked about, or when we introduced you, we talked about the fact that you're known for designing high-impact learning. And I guess the ultimate measure of the benefit of inclusive learning design is the fact that actually you've got the ROI and the impact measures that demonstrate that ultimately it has a greater impact on whatever it was you were intending to do in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. That's a great yeah. summary. Yeah. So thank you, Maureen. It's, it's always a delight to talk to you and, and to learn more things. 
uh, about learning design and how we can make it stronger uh, and how we can make it better. So uh, thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Neville. You have a great, great evening.